0: No purchase necessary. were prohibited by law. 18 plus terms and conditions apply. See website for details. Blog Talk Radio. There is a watchman on the wall Bringing forth the written word of God to one and all Are you getting ready? Will you stand or will you fall? Listen to Good morning, ladies and gentlemen. This is Vincent Xavier, pastor of New Wine Ministries. God bless you, and welcome to this Tuesday morning live radio broadcast. It is March 23rd, 2021. We are days away from the great feast of Passover 2021 in the year 5781. You say, what is that? That's amazing. Why is that amazing? Because... I want to read to you out of 1 Corinthians chapter 5. I've got a, a, a full buffet for you today. We're going to be together for a while, so I hope you're going to gather your some victuals together. We're going to cross over to the other side today, and I hope you're excited about doing that. 1 Corinthians chapter 5, and I want to begin in verse 1. Let's just kind of walk down the path here today and listen to what the Apostle Paul said to the church at Corinth. He writes and says, it is reported commonly that there is fornication among you, and such fornication as is not so much as named among the Gentiles, that one should have his father's wife, yikes, and you are puffed up and have not rather mourned that he that has done this deed might be taken away from among you. So I want you to understand right now that in the introduction of 1 Corinthians chapter 5 beginning in verse 1 there's a sin issue in the camp. There's fornication that is being reported among the believers at Corinth. They had come out of that lifestyle and they were stuck in it still and Paul is now addressing it, but he's saying there's such fornication, se- sexual activity going on that even the Gentiles don't do, that a man would have as his, his father's wife, and so this is the context, and he's saying you're boasting, you're, you're, you're going through all this stuff, you're puffed up, and yet you haven't mourned, you haven't taken away, you haven't taken away the sin. Now in verse 3, Paul said, For I verily is absent in body, but present in spirit, have judged already as though I were present concerning him that has done this deed. In the name of our Lord Jesus Christ, when you are gathered together in my spirit with the power of our Lord, with the power of our Lord Jesus Christ, to deliver such a one unto Satan for the destruction of the flesh, that the spirit may be saved in the day of the Lord Jesus. So what Paul is addressing is to a, to a Gentile church, quote unquote, okay, we know there is no Jewish and Gentile church anymore in Christ Jesus, but it was the church at Corinth. Somebody had sinned a sin. They'd all been sinning to a degree. There's a lot of report about it, not all, but most. Somebody's been sinning in Corinth. And yet there was a sin that was, you know, just as exponential. It was like, wow, you're getting into this territory that is godless where a man is committing fornication with his own father's wife. And then you wonder if that's incestual or is it his, his stepwife? And so it was a son-in-law thing. Only God knows, but it was bad enough for the apostle Paul to bring it to light and then to tell the church, get this sin out of your church and turn this sinner over to Satan so that his flesh will be destroyed, but his spirit will be saved. That's a lot of power and a lot of authority, isn't it? So verse 6, Paul goes on. Now here's where I want you to focus, okay? Your glorying is not good, so the church was not you know, dealing with the sin issue. They were just kind of letting it go on, and it was there in the background underneath. It was covered, blah, blah, blah. And he said, your glorying's not good. Know ye not that a little leaven leavens the whole lump? All right, we're getting into leaven now, which is just a couple of days. We're going to be celebrating the Feast of Unleavened Bread. It is one of the first feast of the new year the feast day passover it will be the very first this coming saturday when the sun sets passover begins that is the first feast of the brand new year we're in the year 5781 now what follows the day after is the beginning of a seven day feast called the feast of unleavened bread And there's a lot to be said about unleavened bread. Notice how the Apostle Paul is going to utilize the feast of unleavened bread and Passover to deal with a New Testament church, a New Testament body of believers. So, your glorying is not good. Know ye not that a little leaven leavens the whole lump? Purge out therefore the old leaven that you may be a new lump as you are unleavened. So the apostle Paul is drawing a spiritual reality from the feast of the Lord, and he's telling the New Testament church how to spiritually apprehend the benefit of the feast of Passover and unleavened bread, because they're moving into that season. The Passover was before them. The feast of unleavened bread was before them. And so Paul is telling them, listen, here's what God's really talking about. He's not interested about you going out and and killing a bunch of lambs and having a big party and unleavened bread externally. He's saying what's most important is that your internal inward parts are unleavened. I want the church, the corporate body of Christ. I want it unleavened. It's not about the external things, the outward performance, the outward festivities. It's about the unleavened reality of your soul with everybody else's soul gathered together in Corinth at the church. I want it dealt with. And so he goes on to say this. I want to read this one more time. Purge out, therefore, the old leaven that you may be a new lump as you are unleavened for even christ our passover ah so paul's talking about unleavened bread now he's talking about passover to a new testament church even christ our passover is sacrificed for us he sacrificed for us jesus christ the passover lamb of god For 1,500 years under the Old Testament, the Feasts of the Lord were participated in, even though the Feast began way before the Mosaic Law. You have to understand that. Way before the Mosaic Law, the Feasts of the Lord were already in operation. From the beginning of time, even ordained by God before man walked on the earth. We could prove that in Genesis 1.14 on the fourth day of creation. Anyways, now... Jesus Christ, the Passover lamb, the one that was going to make a real difference because those lambs under the Old Testament weren't making a change anywhere. They could not take away the guilt conscience, the sin consciousness. So he's talking about Christ. Now he says, therefore, verse 8, here's, this is a kicker, therefore let us keep the feast. Whoa. Wait a second, we're in the New Testament. We're not supposed to worry about full moons, you know, Sabbath days, feast days. I mean, Colossians says all that, but wait a second, wait a second. Paul is not telling them to keep the feast externally with the outward performance of all that stuff they had to go through, getting the unleavened bread, baking the cakes, doing all. No, Paul is taking the outward feast bringing the spiritual meaning to bring inward impact to the local assembly in Corinth. So let's say you go to a church today and you have a 1,000 people in your church or 500 or 100 or 50, and there's stuff going on inside of that ecclesia that's not right. There's fornication. Somebody's watching pornography. Somebody's committing adultery. Somebody's doing stealing. Somebody's doing something. In this case, it was all sexual. In today's world, it wouldn't be surprising if everything wasn't attached to some sexual sin. So something's going on at some degree. And what Paul's saying is, hey, rather than just allowing that to go on, because it's, what it's doing is defiling the church as a whole, deal with it. And then he brings the value of the feast, and he says again, Therefore, let us keep the feast, not with old leaven, Neither with the leaven of malice and wickedness, but with the unleavened bread of sincerity and truth. What's he saying? Let us keep the feast. The feast days are coming. Saturday evening at the setting of the sun, Passover begins. It will go all the way through to the next sunset, Sunday evening. Sunday evening will begin the first day of the Feast of Unleavened Bread, okay? So when the Feast of Unleavened Bread begins, it's a seven-day celebration. It's a seven-day feast. But what's really interesting, Passover on Saturday at sunset, the first day of the Feast of Passover. Sunday at sunset begins the first day of unleavened bread but then monday night when the sun sets begins the feast of first fruits so within the first three days of the feast of the lord there in the first three days there are three feasts passover unleavened bread and first fruits those are the first feasts of the year and then we know that 50 days later, after Passover, will be the fourth great feast, Shavuot, the 50th day. We know it as Pentecost, but that'll be the fourth feast of the year. Sometime, I think late May this year, or early June, but I think it's late May, we'll get the dates on it, which will be Shavuot. That was the time where they had a two-day feast. And then, after these four feasts of the Lord, and I want to get into their intrinsic value here in just a moment, After these first four feasts then came four months of agricultural harvest. For four months, when the children of Israel followed the commandments on how to celebrate these feasts, there would be four months of a general harvest for all the people. The, God, the Lord would send rain to their fields, their crops would grow, they would be working all summer long, gathering in the crops, taking them to the market, doing business, storing some away. Four months of the blessing when the people were in the right mindset with the Father, they would come and Yahweh would just bless the living daylights out of them. And this was the, uh, the agricultural economy of Israel, so intrinsically connected to the feast of the Lord. And it is an amazing season, and they lived by it because they didn't have hoses and they didn't have uh, sprinkler systems and water systems and irrigation systems. No, they depended upon God to send them the rain and it was all agriculturally connected, but God, in his mind, had another view of what they were really doing. He gave them his peace. they participated with an understanding, but in the mind of God, there was a greater wisdom to these feasts, and it was about the intrinsic agricultural value of the production and cultivation of the fruitfulness of that divine nature from within a people that would follow the Lord. I know I just said a lot, but hold on tight. We're going to talk about some things going on all around the world right now, but I need to get this out to you today, okay, of how important and how valuable the feast of the Lord really are. Now, After that four months, so first four feasts are what? Saturday night will be Passover. Sunday night will begin the Feast of Unleavened Bread. Monday night, sunset, the Feast of first fruits, And then it goes all that day, right, until the sunset the next day. So you have those first three all the way up, and yet the Feast of Unleavened Bread continues for seven days. Then comes the Feast of Shavuot, the fourth feast, four months of general harvest, and then we get into the fall feast of the Lord that begin with what? Rosh Hashanah. Rosh Hashanah is the first day of the seventh month. And what happens on that day? They blow the trumpets. It's the feast of trumpets and the trumpets sound. I believe that when these people were laboring all summer long, all summer long, all summer long, and then all of a sudden the sound of the trumpets would blast throughout the land of Israel and the sound of those trumpets were to let them know the general season of reaping your harvest throughout all those summer months is come to an end. Now get ready for the fall feast, the great feast. It told them, number one, 10 days from the Feast of Trumpets would be on the 10th day of the seventh month, the Feast of Atonement. We know it as Yom Kippur. It is the day of atonement, one of the not one of it was known as the highest holy day in the economy of Israel, the Feast of Atonement, the day of atonement, ten days after Rosh Hashanah, and what the people would do they would they would close out their business and their dealings with agricultural, going to the market, they put everything away, they were now preparing themselves to go meet the Lord in the final feast of the year, the great feast of tabernacles. But at Rosh Hashanah, everything would come to a place of introspection. And the people would begin to examine now their solical condition, their heart. They would give thanks to God for the season that they had. They'd take up, they'd wrap up the business. It was time to shut things down and to start thinking about what was ahead. So they would have an encounter on the Day of Atonement. So those 10 days between the Feast of Trumpets to the Day of Atonement, there was a lot of, again, inspection, examination. It's this, New Test, this is New Testament. Paul the Apostle tells us, examine yourselves to see whether or not you're in the faith. A lot of inward in, in, introspection. So these days would come, and this was the, a holy, awesome day, the Day of Atonement, because that is the day that spoke of the Day of judgment. And it's foreshadowing the day of judgment that is yet to come upon all the nations of the earth. But it was on that day, the day of atonement, that the people would humble themselves. They would fast. It was a celebration, but it was a day of doing no servile work. Ten days, they're getting themselves ready for this high holy day. And it's the day that God brought forth the atonement, the blood that was shed for the forgiveness of their sins to declare them not guilty. And uh, and in some of the rabbinical teaching, they talk about on that day, God determines who's going to live another year or who's going to die that year, who's going to be blessed and who's going to be cursed, who's going to prosper and who's going to fail. So it was a very high holy day. And the idea and the thought of it was for us, on the day of judgment, who's going to go on forever, and who's going to go into eternal destruction? I mean, so the day of judgment does come, and it is coming. Aren't you glad that in Jesus Christ you've already been judged? But we are to judge ourselves, no doubt. But the day of judgment is coming, and we should always be preparing our hearts to make sure that we will stand in the day of judgment, no doubt about it. Now, after this fifth feast, the Feast of Trumpets, Ten days later is the sixth feast, the Day of Atonement. And then four days later. So the Day of Atonement comes. The people receive the blessing. That's the time when the high priest would go into the Holy of Holies. And the high priest would go in with a rope around his leg. And the high priest would go in with the blood. And he, one time a year would go in and access the Holy of Holies with blood, and he would pour out the blood on the mercy seat, and he would make an atonement for his own sins and the sins of the nation. This is speaking of the day that Jesus Christ, Yeshua, our high priest, went into the holiest place of all, not a tabernacle on earth, but into heaven itself and poured out his blood on the mercy seat of heaven. But all these rehearsal years for 1,500 years, Rehearsal, rehearsal, rehearsal amongst the Jewish people. Well, now that the mercy seat is poured out, four days later, continuing on in the theme, was the Feast of Tabernacles, the Great Feast of Tabernacles. It's called the Great Feast. And the Great Feast of Tabernacles was that final feast where all of Israel would gather together in one place as one nation 12 different tribes yet they all came together under one banner the banner of Yahweh, and they would all come to that feast. Everybody would bring their offerings. Everybody would come. They would leave their homes. They had a promise in Deuteronomy that God will protect your land when you go up to Feast of Tabernacles. God will protect your stuff. God will protect your home. God will protect you. So the people, wherever they were in the land of Israel, they would leave their home. They would begin the journey to show up at the Feast of Tabernacles and for seven full days, really it was eight days and even into 10 days when you stop and really think about the first day and the seventh day uh, being days of uh, solemn assemblies. And anyways, the people would come and they would party, party, party for a full week. It was a feast of joy. It was a feast of unity. It speaks to the gathering together of the elect of God in the last days. The Bible has a lot to say about our gathering together unto him. And so today, Tuesday, the 23rd of March, I just wanted to lay forth a little bit, a little bit, to inspire you that this all begins, this all begins on Saturday evening, and the only right thing to do is to find a congregation that is a New Testament congregation with Hebraic believers who love the feast, whatever, however it works out, gather together and retell the story. You know, on most Passovers, what they, what they do, and we've done it for years, <clears throat> it's called the Seder, the Seder meal. And the Seder is a meal that is specifically designed to retell the story what it actually means the retelling of the story of what the first passover that took place with Moses and Aaron the children of Israel in the house of bondage and what God did that day and he wanted that story retold from generation to generation to the ends of the earth to show God's people from generation to generation from epoch to epoch the thing that God did to remind them that he's going to do it again Oh my gosh. It's personal. Our redemption, our deliverance from bondage is very personal, but it's also corporate because everybody else has done it. But the day of deliverance comes. The day of redemption comes when the whole creation will be delivered from the bondage of corruption. And so the reason why we keep ourselves open in our minds to receive the information the revelation and to grow inwardly intrinsically with the value of these feasts is because it's yet to be fulfilled to some degree now passover has been fulfilled jesus christ died on the cross it's the passover lamb he shed his blood okay well then why should we keep it i want to ask you a question How often do you sit back and consider the value of the shed blood of Jesus Christ, the cleansing of your conscience by that blood, the treading and the trampling of all perversion and depravity within your soul by that blood, the protection and the deliverance by that blood, the legal mandate of not guilty by that blood, speaking from the right hand. How how often have you really applied that blood to your life so that all guilt, shame, and condemnation and reproach have been eradicated from your soul, that you have a clear conscience and are no longer guilty before God? How much have you integrated yourself and allowed that blood to integrate with you intrinsically? Well, I think there's room. And so we retell the story. We tell the story of Passover again. We don't have to ignore it. Well, that's a finished feast. Yes, it is fulfilled. But to every person that believes in Jesus Christ, today, someone gets saved, it means the world to them. It's the day that the Passover lamb died on the cross, shed his blood for their forgiveness. And that message must be told. They have to know and they have to understand. And if they understand it from a biblical view, even going back to the beginning of time, it will help. What about Feast of unleavened bread. Well, that's the time of cleansing. That's spring cleaning, getting the house clean, getting all the leaven out of your life. Do we do that once a year? That's an internal work that goes on from day to day in all of our journey, right? We've been having an unleavened bread feast since we believed. And it's all about getting things out of us that cannot go into the kingdom. It's about getting rid of unforgiveness, bitterness, resentment, jealousy, pride, envy, all the different things, lust all the things inside of the human psyche, all the things inside of human nature, the flesh nature, all this feast of unleavened bread is about getting that all out and not just externally. Well, I don't commit adultery out there, but I have adultery in my heart. Oh, I don't fornicate out there, but I've got images in my soul. Oh, I don't murder anybody out there, but I have hate in my heart towards my brother. I'm a murderer. You see, it's all about an internal, intrinsic, sanctification the feast of unleavened bread what about that third feast we have passover unleavened bread the third feast of of first fruits first corinthians 15 jesus is our first fruits he's the first fruits of a new species of an entire harvest of people that will be resurrected like himself in his own image on the third day Jesus Christ rose from the dead. And the third day of these feast days is the feast of first fruits. And Jesus is the first fruits of the resurrection. But it's not just a resurrection of physical people coming back to life. It is the resurrection of the saints being changed into the same image. It is the first fruits of a new species. Excuse me. The first fruits of a kind of people that are going to be harvested at the end of the age. What a glorious pattern. What about the fourth feast? Shavuot, 50 days after the Passover. Now Shavuot. In the New Testament, it was the day that the Holy Spirit came to dwell in the hearts of believers. This is Pentecost. The 50th day, it is the sealing of the new covenant. It's the sealing. This is the day that the blood has worked, the blood has atoned, the blood has done its work in the first feast. Now comes the sealing of the Holy Spirit. Now comes the empowerment of the Holy Spirit. Now comes the gifting of the Holy Spirit in the life of a believer. And when believers are gathered together, now you have something of value now you have the body of christ holy spirit moving through each vessel gifting individuals empowering the ecclesia so that there's no lack in the body of christ there's provision for all when all are moved by the holy spirit to relay and to share their gifts this has been fulfilled too right but how often are you in your ecclesia gathering together with the saints operating in the power of the holy spirit how often are your services led by the Holy Spirit? How often are you getting prophetic words, words of knowledge, gifts of healing, miracles? How many uh, tongues and interpretation of tongues are going on in your ecclesia? How is the body ministering one to another in your ecclesia? How is the spirit of the Lord moving through different individuals to inspire, encourage, build up and edify the body of Christ to bring prophetic words, warnings, declarations, prophesying? That is supposed to be going on in every ecclesia, but some have been boiled down to a pastor, three songs, a message, a dance out the door after the tithe. Then it can't be that way. We want to be where the Holy Spirit will bring prophetic words, prophetic worship, prophetic utterances, Holy Spirit ignited, anointed. And I'm not just talking about Pentecostal Christian churches. I'm talking about the Spirit of God moving and operating in and through a people gathered together so that the expression, the revelation, the wisdom, the knowledge of God would be imparted and unveiled, that the mysteries would be unveiled before the minds of the people that gather together in the ecclesia so that there might be direction. Come on. Hallelujah for the Holy Spirit of God. Now, we want that, so that's why we celebrate it, to bring emphasis to the Holy Spirit. Passover, emphasis to Jesus Christ, the Lamb of God, who takes away the sin of the world. The the knowledge of getting your life cleaned up before God, getting the leaven out of your life, getting the leaven out of the church, resentments, bitterness, uh, gossip, uh, backbiting, whispering, talking, uh, finger-pointing, criticism, whatever it is, get rid of it. It's not going to go anywhere in the kingdom of God, and it will stagnate a church on earth from becoming what God has determined that Ecclesia to become. And that's why the enemy wars against us so much, but can take personal responsibility in these matters. Now, Feast of Tabernacles, seven feasts. Of the, so if you count them, Passover, Unleavened Bread, first fruits, Pentecost, Trumpets, Day of Atonement, Tabernacles, seven feasts of the Lord revealed in Scripture. Three of them, Passover, Pentecost, or Shavuot, Tabernacles, those three, it was required of all the men 20 years and older to gather together. But you know and I know it wasn't just the men that went. In the day when they went to Passover when Jesus was a little 12-year-old boy, it was his mother Mary and all the families of the tribe of their family. Everybody went. Everybody went. Okay? So the feast of the Lord, three times a year, God utilizes them to gather together his people. And so all over the world, we this week, people are preparing for the great feast of Passover, unleavened bread, first fruits. They're getting ready for a celebration. And where what should really be happening is local uh, regions where pastors gather together, different churches. I'm just talking about the way it should be and could be. It should no longer be our denominational influences, but all the people of God laying that down, getting ready, gathering together in a certain place, and coming together and celebrating our faith in Jesus Christ because all believers should have at least that first thing in common. We're all saved by grace through faith in the shedding of the blood of Jesus Christ, our Passover lamb. So we could all gather together at the cross. We could all gather together around the blood. We all agree what the blood and the cross has done. So it should be a time of people in the ecclesia putting away their differences, their doctrines for just a moment, coming together, celebrating Jesus Christ. And what a valuable thing that would be. Can you imagine all the fivefold ministry gifts, all the people, the ministers, the, all the servants of the Lord, just saying, hey, we're going to gather together, we're going to have the greatest party, we're going to allow all the body of Christ to meet one another and remember that we are all of one. The body of Christ is going to need each other like never before, but probably it won't happen because we're in such a different place right now, but we are going to gather together, like we've done for so many years. We've been hosting the Feast of Tabernacles for over 30 years now. We're going to gather together, whether a small group, a large group, it doesn't really matter to us, but we are going to gather together and celebrate the Feast of Passover. And again, we're not after the external. We're going to retell the story, and we're going to bring forth that, worship we're going to bring forth that honor and respect for the feast that god has ordained and the apostle paul so let us keep so what a great time to start a new year how many of you know that january 1st was not the new year according to god's economy i'm talking about the biblical calendar the hebraic calendar that tells us that saturday evening at sunset begins Passover. How many of you would like to start a brand new year in God's agricultural economy or the economy of the feast of the Lord or the calendar of the feast of the Lord and begin to see a production of fruitfulness in your life? How many of you would like to say, you know what? I want to sow into Father God's feast so that Father God will sow into me something of spiritual value that has eternity wrapped up in it. I want to begin to participate in something that has eternal value. So I'm going to participate in the Feast of the Lord. And it is true that during the Feast, the first thing that God required of the people after them gathering together is that they would bring an offering to the Lord. There's no secret to that. That is so revealed in all the scriptures that the people were to bring their first fruit offering for the new year ahead. They would take of their harvest from the year behind them. They would wrap up the very chiefest, the very best offering of all that they've accumulated through the year. They would wrap it up and they would bring it to the feast and they would present it to the priests because God's intention for the offerings was that they would be given to the priests who were the ministers of the altar. And in the economy of God, that is how God took care of the priests. But the people would come and they would bring their offering. They were bringing something of value, something that was meaningful, something that meant something to them, that God had given them. They're taking a portion they're taking the very best offering, they presented it to the Lord. Now, in the economy of the Feast of the Lord, when they gave their first fruits offering, their Passover offering, well, what would happen, the priest would wave it before the Lord. And when they waved it before the Lord, the Lord would see the offerings, and all of a sudden, God would begin to respond by bringing rain to their crops so that, their seed that they had sown will now begin to bring forth. And here was the barley, and here was the uh, the grain offerings in the beginning of the year, and it would begin to produce. And then God would send the rain to their fields, and 50 days later, their crops had grown, and now they're bringing the wheat offering. Hallelujah, during Pentecost. It all begins with the offerings of the Lord. Then during the the Feast of the wheat offering, the people would take an offering out of their, what they've just accomplished in those days and they would present another offering to the Lord. And then would come the four months of absolute reaping their harvest. And then when they would make it to the Feast of Tabernacles, they would gather all those four months of what they had just reaped, all the best offering they would take it, the corn, the oil, the wine. They would bring it, the money. They would bring even hard liquor was brought to it, believe it or not. Find that in Deuteronomy. But the people would bring their offerings. And again, what was happening? When these offerings were required by Father God, Yahweh, so that the people... Would do this now we know that there are tithes people think tithes are under the Old Testament they are not tithing was going on before the mosaic law God always had these things in mind from the beginning of time tithes and offerings Malachi says bring in all the tithes and the offerings I'll open the windows of heaven and pour out a blessing that you cannot contain that rich blessing of the Lord that not only brings forth the seed sown but it also increases the fruits of our righteousness. And these are just, I'm just touching in minor detail on a life that can be lived out in the economy of the Feast of the Lord right now. This is valuable information, it's true. And if we would get on board with what God is doing and we would start thinking, number one, it's gonna shift our thinking of what's going on in this world. Because right now it's like a turning away of what's happening back there, and it's a focus on the kingdom, and there there is a spiritual value. When our faith is active and operative in these things, there should be an explosion of fruitfulness and growth and development and cultivation and the blessing of the Lord and the victories of God. I mean, there are so many promises connected. In fact, if you go back to Passover, there was known as the seven blessings of the Lord. In the book of Exodus, when the people gave their offering, then God promised he would send his angel before them to make sure that they would be kept in the way. God promised he would bless their food and their water supply, that he would deal with their enemies, that he would be an enemy to our enemies. Oh, the promises are unbelievable, but they're all connected to the Passover offering. This is the richest moment. You need to be preparing Saturday night to bring your offering to the Lord. You go to church, you have a pastor, he may not even be thinking about this, but between you and the Lord, you should get an offering, and you should bring your offering, and you should lay it down at your pastor, the minister, who is a shepherd of your soul. He is your uh, minor priest on earth, you know, we're the sub-shepherds. You bring your offering to him and he says what is this you say this is my passover offering oh darling i don't believe in all that stuff that's old testament i know pastor but would you please receive my offering okay he'll receive it you just gave that to the lord as a first fruits passover offering now and you gave it to the one who ministers into your life sows into your life watches over your life counsels into your life you, you give it to your minister It's God's way of blessing the ministry. Believe me, it's his economy, not our own. So give it to your pastor, and then know that you have just sown your first fruits offering. Watch and see what goes on in the days ahead. Have in mind, 50 days later, you're going to bring your Pentecost offering, your feast of uh, the wheat offering. You're going to give another offering on God's feast day, 50 days later. And then you should be reaping for four months. There should be, according to your faith and your operation and how this works, there should be releases going on in your life, not just tangible, physical, substantial things, but also spiritual things. But the promise right now is that God wants to bring a substantial miracle into your life and that is not transient but will remain. So get ready for God to do something in your life that you might even be a little embarrassed about. He's going to bring a blessing to you that is not going to be transient and just disappear in a couple of days. He's bringing something into your life that is going to refresh your heart, that's going to bring joy to your life, that is a restoration of something, and that is going to remain probably for many years, maybe even the rest of your life. That is the season that we are in. You know I'm not a prosperity preacher. I hope you're hearing me. I am not a prosperity preacher. In other words, preach the gospel for money. But when it comes to our Father's Feast, I must and I will tell the truth of the value that is involved. I have participated myself. I prepare my own Passover offerings to give to somebody that's been ministering to me, that has been counseling in my life, showing I've done this. I participate in the Feast of the Lord. And I, I just see the value, what God has done in my life. And this is something you have to come to grips with. You could study it out for yourself in the Bible. You'll realize in the New Testament, you can't just say, well, that's Old Testament. It's not true. We just read in First Corinthians how it really works. Now, praise the Lord. God is good. Stay in this forever. You see, this is kingdom to me. This is This is heartbeat. This is turning my attention to the things of God. What we're going to talk about here in just a moment is a message that I preached on Sunday afternoon at New Wine Ministries, but we didn't have it downloaded or recorded. So I'm going to share my notes with you of what's happening in this world that we live in and the setup that's going on against your life and and how the world around you and principalities and powers are manipulating things. I mean, I'm going to we're going to get into some deep territory here today, but if we would also remember while we're hearing these things, because we're not to be ignorant of them, we're not to bury our heads in the sand and say, I don't want to hear that. No, we are to be aware, no doubt. So we know how to navigate and how to pray and how to move and how to live. We need to understand. So well, I'm going to share with you what God shared with me in the sermon that I preached on Sunday, but on the one side, the kingdom, the feast of the Lord, how it's connected to the kingdom of Christ. On this side, the darkness. It's almost like Isaiah's prophecy, arise and shine, for your light has come, and the glory of the Lord has risen upon you. Behold, darkness shall cover the earth, gross darkness the people, but the Lord shall arise upon you, and his glory shall be seen upon or in the new covenant within you. So it's a day of light, it's a day of darkness, and the split is coming. I mean, the terror is almost complete, darkness, light. Now, they're going to call darkness light, and they're going to call light darkness, because that's the confusion of the times. But when you look at both sides of this day, the day that I choose to live in is the light side of the day. I want to live in the light side, the right side. I want to live in the day of the Lord on his side. I want to be involved in what he's doing, what he's thinking. I want to participate in his system of economics, his system. And I'm telling you, the economy of the kingdom of heaven so far exceeds the kingdoms of this world. I know you invest in this, that, and the other thing in the world. No comparison to your investment in the kingdom. And when God brings these feast days and gives opportunities for you to begin to sow tithe and offering into these days, my God. And and again, I can tell you a book of testimonies of what the Lord has done in our own lives. Okay. So that's where I wanted to go for just a moment. And now we're going to shift. We're going to shift. And I'm going to open up. And that's a lot, you know, that's a lot of information for us, but I want to open up. And before I do, I want to say hello to a couple of people that are back here. I know that I want to say good morning to my brother, Kevin. Kevin Hauger has been up in uh, an area taking care of his family. His father passed away uh, about 10 days ago or so, and um, Kevin was out there, so he's giving us a good morning uh, this morning. Good morning, Kevin. I trust you've taken care of all your business at home, and we welcome you home. We've missed you. We've noted how the ministry, when you're not there, a few little elemental things are not accomplished. So thank you. Your ministry is very important to us. Um, I'm seeing right now Dennis Sossaman is with us today. Denny and Sally, good morning to you, dear brother and sister in the Lord. God bless you. I'm seeing, um, once again, Johnny JD is with us this morning. Good morning, Johnny JD. I see Sharon Evans with us. Good morning, Sharon. Peace be unto you. God bless you. Uh, Keith Carey. Good morning, Pastor Sharon, Kevin. uh, it's, It's me from Columbus, Ohio. Hello again, Brother Keith. I see Samuel Grimes is with us this morning. Uh, yes, we need to remove all the leaven and the whole lump in our lives. Amen. Uh, Johnny J.D. says, we are one, one body in Christ, God being the Godhead. Amen. Amen. We love that. And you know, it's so, it's so shall it be in the economy of God. At the end of the day, there's only one body, one spirit, one Lord, one Savior, one Father, one God, one, all, he's all, there's just one. We get that, and it's so true. I see my sister Sarah calling in from San Diego today in the chat room. Good morning, Sarah. God bless you. By the way, Sarah has set up an encounter with a young lady named Sonia, who is dealing with the Islamic reality that's going on in the world today, and she has her own ministry. But I have invited her to come on and speak to us about the things going on with the Nation of Islam, and I'm looking forward to that interview. Right now, we've run into a little tiny glitch. Uh, We're on at nine o'clock, it's seven o'clock West Coast time, that's a little early. So we're not sure what direction we're gonna go in right now, but I know when this young lady comes on the air and she shares with us, that uh, it's going to be very informative, very enlightening, and I'm looking forward to that. So, Sarah, thank you for making that contact. And by the way, if you're out there today and you know somebody that has a relative ministry that we could interview, you make sure you contact me. Let me know. Let's set that up. We would love to interview other people rather than just one man on this broadcast every day, okay? So we'd love to do that. I see my sister Brenda Torville is calling in today. And Brenda's saying good morning. So good morning to you, Brenda. God bless your heart. Brother Mark from Mexico is with us today. My condolences, Kevin. Yes, he sends condolence to the loss of Kevin's father. Thank you, Mark. God bless you. All right, so I'm seeing also, Sarah, you guys in for a treat with Sonia. Okay, we're looking forward to that. I know it's true. I see today Peggy Wagner is with us. Pastor Ken and Peggy Wagner, they're celebrating Peggy's birthday. On Saturday, we had St. Margaret, Peggy Wagner Day. Praise the Lord. There are parades everywhere. St. Margaret, St. Peggy, God bless you. And their anniversary is coming up, so they're away, taking a little rest time. I'm a little envious and jealous, but not too bad. God bless you. All right, and then I see Kevin Hacker. Thank you all for the prayers and thoughts. Sarah, my pleasure will be such a blessing. Thanks for having her. Amen, Sarah. God bless you. All right, so Brother Mark is getting into the meaning of human. Hu means God. Man means mind. Which word comes from the Sankhurst? Human, therefore, may be said to mean God conscious, God realized, or God man. One and only, Brother Mark. Thank you. All right. Now, having said this, you guys, what I'm going to share with you in my notes and a good morning to everybody. Some of you heard it on Sunday service. May God refresh and help you to hear it again. There's a few little added details I received early this morning. And I want to just begin and I'll I'll start it this way. We have just been in a season Of desensitization the whole world and I'm speaking by the Spirit now this is what the Holy Spirit revealed to me and told me to share with the body and I'm sharing it with you today the world that we live in you have to become aware of this reality the social experimentation the last year has been a desensitization And what does the word desensitization mean? It means to make less sensitive. So there has been something released in the world globally at the same time that was determined to make people less sensitive. Now Here's the definition of desensitization. It means, and stay with it, to make someone less likely to feel shock or distress at scenes of cruelty, violence, or suffering by overexposing to such images. Let me read it again, all right? Desensitization as a tool in the hand of the enemy. I was going to, let me just get it down to the, the bare knuckles here. The, the, the tool in the hand of the enemy, desensitization, is to make someone less likely to feel shock or distress at scenes of cruelty, violence, or suffering by overexposure to such images In other words, we're going to flash images on the screen, fire, violence, brutality, danger, warning, war. All right, all these images you saw for the last year. I'm just going to get a little, I'm speaking with my hands now. All these things for a year, the fires burning, the looting, the mob, all the things, the tearing down. What was that? That was a specialized operation of desensitization upon the minds of the masses within our society and around the world to get them to not be so shocked and distressed when the big one comes. All of this has been preview. Everything, listen to me please by the Spirit, everything that has happened in this country since 9-11. 2001 that was the first big image on the minds of the people everything that has happened since then everything just take that and then wrap up every event every school shooting every church shooting every mall shooting every concert shooting every violent act, every fire blazing, every mob violence, I mean, you name it. Wrap it all up. Every image coming from Hollywood, every rated R movie of violence and murder and killing and bloodshed and monsters and aliens and demon possession. Wrap it up. Wrap it up because all of it, has been a desensitization operation to get this world ready for what's really about to happen. The last year has been a desensitization, and they flashed images for so long every day, every night to get us ready. And now the vaccination, the vaccination, the shots, the shots, all of it. Just stay with me, please. This is number one. Point number one, don't allow this to happen to you. Don't become unsensitive to a hurting person. Don't see people bleeding in the streets and not care. Don't become implacable. It's a word we're going to talk about because it's an end time word that the Apostle Paul used to Timothy in the last days. Men would become implacable without natural affection. In other words, so hard hearted, so desensitized that nothing bothers them. When that happens, we are in danger. If we no longer care about our neighbor, if we no longer blush over horrific sin, if we no longer are sensitive to someone's pain or suffering, the operation has succeeded against us. So this is something I'm telling you for a reason. Number two the number 2 uh, number 2 tool in the hand of the devil number 1 tool desensitization and they do that through the news media they do that through television they do that through every mechanism available billboards as people have been saying they're flashing signals and signs all over the world the number 2 tool in this operation is propaganda. Propaganda. Propaganda is a tool in the hand of the enemy. Now, and I'm telling you the word tool, and I'm talking about shaping, because what I'm going to share with you in just a moment, you don't want to miss it. I'm going to leave it to you like that. I don't, I don't try to hold people on in my broadcast, but I'm telling you, you do not want to miss what is about to be unveiled here today. Number two tool that is used by the devil that he puts in the hands of the shapers and fashioners is propaganda. Propaganda is information. And Patricia Joy, if you could hear me up there, would you please bring me a big glass of water? I need a glass of water. Thank you. Propaganda means information, especially of a biased or misleading nature used to promote or publicize a particular political cause or point of view. All right, let me say it again. Propaganda. Information, especially of a biased or misleading nature, used to promote or publicize a particular political cause or point of view? Have we not seen the propaganda in our country since 9-11? I want to mark everything since 9-11. Have we not seen it in the last nine months? The news media, the propaganda tool, the machinery of propaganda promoting, publicizing a particular political cause of the left, their point of view. Propaganda has been huge. As a matter of fact, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to be a little bit laborious here, and I'm going to take the time, and I'm going to read to you an, a, an article about the propaganda, okay? So let me just get to a place here, and I want to just share on the power of propaganda. So let me just get these thoughts out. The Power of Propaganda. I read a lot on Sunday, I guess. All right, World War II propaganda. Now, I know you know what it is, and I know you've probably heard bits and pieces of what I'm about to share. It's okay. I'm not going anywhere. The year was 1939. The Nazi Party, led by Adolf Hitler, was in power, and Europe was in a state of distress, and soon the whole world would be involved in a war that would devastate mankind for generations to come. Let me speak into that. America and nations around the world today are in distress, and soon the whole world will be involved in a war. Not World War I, not World War Two, but World War Three. And it's said here that the whole world would be involved in a war that would devastate mankind. The Reason for the desensitization is to get you not to be so shocked by the level of war that's going to come to pass. It's coming. I know there's a lot of talk, well, we're not talking about actual war. We're talking about this kind of war. War is coming. It's prophesied to come. It's coming. And it's going to devastate the world in our generation more than it ever devastated the world in Nazi Germany or World War 2. Okay? It's all been warm-up. It's all been preview. World War 2 involved many great nations of the world, such as the Axis powers, which were Germany, Italy, and Japan, and the Allied powers, which were France, Britain, and Russia. On December 7th, 1941, America would join the Allies after Japan attacked Hawaii's coast at Pearl Harbor, Oahu. The war was a terrible fight. However, the fight wasn't just fought on land or air or water. There was a more subtle fight being fought by the Axis and Allied governments, movie makers and poster designers. Now, listen, the war is coming. But before that war commenced, there was already propaganda. The propaganda was against the Jews by the Nazis. The propaganda machines had gone into full power. War came, okay, as a result of the propaganda. The propaganda that's going on in our world today, shaped by the news media, the oligarch of elites that own all these these places, okay? So just kind of connect World War II with what we're talking about. There's a war going on. It's a propaganda war over the minds of the people of the world. It's a propaganda war. These men and women played an important role in drawing up certain beliefs about their enemies in the war by spreading these types of thoughts to their fellow citizens to bring some type of unity for their nation. In other words, not the the Nazis, they had their propaganda to to bolster up a unifying around Adolf Hitler's Nazi Germany and to demonize all the enemies. Okay, propaganda was used to do that on both sides. All right, these, and I love what they called them here, these psychological soldiers tried to promote a love for their country through the power of propaganda. Psychological soldiers. Psychological soldiers, which is going to be tool number three, I'm going to share with you in just a moment. We're just talking about tool number two, propaganda. So these psychological, psychological soldiers promoted love for country through the power of propaganda. Propaganda is defined as ideas, facts, or allegations spread deliberately to further one's cause or to damage an opposing cause. During World War II, propaganda was a driving force that kept the battles heated and each nation's population united for a common cause. When we look back at World War II and the times we were in, how effective was propaganda though? How was it represented and what images would persuade the people of each country to fight in the war? Both countries, Germany and the United States, created vast promotions during the war that were degrading to their opposing sides. A great sense of nationalism was building up, and these propagandists did anything to keep their country on top, no matter how degrading and deceiving we could possibly be. They stereotyped and lied about their opponents just to heighten patriotism through posters and film, and the images used in these types of propaganda by both governments took every flaw of our enemies and blew them out of proportion. While the United States promoted production and Germany uplifted xenophobic thoughts, both countries created a sense of nationalism and brought their countries together under fraudulent thoughts of their enemies." Well, what does that mean? Well. Yesterday, I heard Kamala Harris talking about the xenophobic conservative Republican Party. She was talking about our xenophobia, our homophobia, all these phobias that we have in racism. She was talking about the Asian attack in um, Atlanta, Georgia, where a 21-year-old boy last week killed eight people at an Asian massage parlor. The young boy said that it was a sexual addiction. He was killing the people because of his psychological condition. But the news media has now said, no, it was a hate crime. And it's motivated by Donald J. Trump. Donald J. Trump inspired hatred against the Asians because he called it the China virus. And so Kamala Harris, the vice president of the United States of America, rather than looking at the 21-year-old boy saying he hated these people because of his own sexual problems, sided with the hate speech to bring it right back to Donald J. Trump. What is that? That's propaganda. Utilizing the news media to demonize Donald J. Trump and his followers, the cult of Donald Trump followers, Republicans, conservatives, white Christians, nationalists, okay? They're demonizing. And then, as was said, they go from demonization to dehumanization. You're going to see it. If I can make it through this conversation. Patricia, if you have any water, I could really use some water, please. Thank you. Somebody text her. Hubby needs help. I need water. But anyways, in all sincerity, so we're, we're witnessing this type of propaganda in, the, in our country right now. I want to read a little bit further only because it talks about a man that you all have heard of, but it's someone you, we should just all remember, of, a man by the name of Goebbels, or Goebbels. He was the propaganda king in Nazi Germany the way that he manipulated everything. But I want you to know the propaganda underway in America today is very real. The only difference is the propaganda that is being used today is not America as one nation under God fighting against Nazi Germany. The propaganda that's operating today is dividing the United States of America, which is a purposeful intention in the global reality of things To break America from its patriotism, its nationalism, its independent sovereignty. We've said it for a long time. And it's true. I sense a salvation coming to the pulpit right now. Hold on one second, please. Salvation has arrived. Thank you, my dear. God bless you. I know it's very organic. Excuse me. Yummy, yummy. You may ask why we're a little fatigued today. If you're interested, I could tell you. Uh, If not, we'll just get back into the story. All right, so one of the reasons, one of the main reasons why World War II had a huge impact on the world was from propaganda because it promoted a great deal of industry and economic stability. When one thinks of how many people participated in the war, they probably only think of how many soldiers fought in the war and how many casualties there were. Due to the art of propaganda, most of the citizens from each country during World War II were acting participants because it lit a fire in everyone's stomach to help their country's cause in whatever way possible. Now, the propaganda here at home, the left is stirring those on the left with the propaganda and it stirs a fire in their belly to ignite fires, BLM, Antifa. The propaganda on the right, nationalism, patriotism, save the country from the left, propaganda. But the danger of the propaganda today is that it's working in our nation with a purpose a purposeful intent to divide and conquer in order to bring about out of the ashes, out of the calamity, out of the catastrophe, out of the collapse, out of the division, out of the brokenness of our nation, which is what the propaganda is all about right now. It's not a mistake. It is intended to fuel the fire, of brother against brother, American against American. The left against the right. The right against the left. It is fueled by the communist global party. And the news media is bought and owned by them. Television, Hollywood is bought and owned by them. Washington, D.C. is bought and owned by them. Many companies in our country are bought and owned by them. Many universities and institutions are bought and owned by them. And they have been incrementally making their way through their stealth jihad, through the institutions of our nation, undermining the foundations, integrating with the fabric of our society, creating the hollowness and the decay to ultimately break the union. And it's going to be a major break. Unfortunately, but you need to know what is fueling it, what is happening. It's not a mistake. Desensitize them for what they're about to see. Use propaganda to separate and bring the conquering, the collapse, and they won't stop, believe me. So that the new idea to come into fruition a global idea a biblical idea really they may call it what they want but it's a biblical reality what they're pushing for and again I told you don't leave until you hear what these sculptors are fashioning okay due to the art of propaganda most of the citizens from each country, okay, we read that. They fought for each cause. A teaching fellow in, at the Alabama Department of Archives and History wrote, and here I quote, During World War II, the government undertook unprecedented campaigns to engage Americans in the war effort. Private business followed suit, often attempting to link their products with appeals to patriotism. Propaganda and advertisement sometimes became inextricably entwined in the process, end of quote. From gas to bail bonds, many companies use this advertising effect to lure consumers to buy their product, but promote patriotism at the same time. Poster designers created posters that promoted the building of tanks, and other war materials to help the country. And a good example of this is shown in the figure United We Win, which uh, was a poster of two young men working on an engine, promotes the citizens of America to work harder, so the Army has more materials, implying that even normal citizens can take part in the war, even if they are not fighting. This was a poster. Another good example of this is their... is is this other poster, a poster called Production, and it shows what Americans' attitudes were and what we were aiming for to win the war. This poster is bold and it shows that if the people of the United States give a strong helping hand, they will win the war. Most posters like these ones were successful during this time because fighting wasn't everyone's cup of tea, so this gave people a chance to help in more subtle ways. All right, so we're just getting behind the scenes. and seeing how the propaganda worked. Now, they used posters back then. Today, we use television and every platform and mechanism that is shaping the social mindset, okay? I got to move on, because I got to get to number three and show you what's being fashioned here. So let me just get through this part now. Vincent Xavier, get yourself through it. Germany used similar tactics. Tactics, tactics, Uh, However, they didn't promote production as much as the United States did. Their propaganda campaign dealt with the promotion of nationalism and the Nazi Party. Michael Balfour quoted Adolf Hitler's words. These are Adolf Hitler's words. And I quote, propaganda, propaganda, propaganda. All that matters is propaganda. Propaganda. Those were Adolf Hitler's words. Hitler was huge advocate of propaganda, and so was Joseph Goebbels, his right-hand man. Robert Edward Edwin Hertzstein, a scholar from New York University, wrote, Goebbels shared Hitler's contempt for the masses as a herd that needed to be molded <clears throat> and that could be shaped and inspired, molded and shaped. Mold them and shape them. These tools in the hands of these who are working right now. Mold and shape. Propaganda was for these masses. That's what was written by this gentleman. Propaganda is for the masses. Shape and mold them. He was the national propaganda leader of the NSDAP and the head of the propaganda campaign for the Nazi party as he helped set the attitude for Nazi Germany, talking about Goebbels. And here's a quote. Here's what this man wrote about Goebbels. The hostility to the intellect of the little doctor, his contempt for the human race, Goebbels' contempt for the human race and Adolf Hitler's, in general, and his hatred against the Jews in particular, and his complete cynicism were an expression of his own intellectual self-hatred and inferiority complexes, his overwhelming need to destroy everything sacred and ignite the same feelings of rage, despair, and hatred in his listeners. What does that look like today? The left is now D. De- Demonizing and using propaganda to bring hatred against the right in our nation. Christians are being mocked, persecuted, and it's, again, it's all propaganda being used to bring it about in full force. Trump, Donald Trump, in their mind, stands for white national Nazi. He's a Nazi. That's what they've all made it clear. He's a racist. All of his followers are part of his regime. In our own country, the left is using propaganda to get this going out there, but it's their own, it's the left's own, like Goebbels, what? It was his own intellectual self-hatred and inferiority complex. So the left is operating out of their own self-hatred for their own sins, their crimes, their rebellion against God, it's intrinsic, it's inter- it's inward, okay? And their own inferiority, okay? So they have their own problems, but that's what they're using to fuel the fire against what they call their enemy, Donald Trump, and all who support him, the right. He spoke out to the people of Germany, and they listened. Speaking of Goebbels again, Goebbels, Goebbels. He promoted Hitler and the hatred of the Jews, and they followed, just like they're going to promote the hatred against the right. They're going to mobilize an internal war against the right. The global community is going to do this. We're not just, you know, left and right America. No, the left is backed by the global community. So... Goebbels promoted the views that all of Germ- Germany should be Aryan, blonde hair, blue-eyed, etc. And this led the Nazi Party and almost the disgust of others who didn't fall under these characteristics. So, I'm sorry. And this led to a lot of propagandist posters that aimed at recruits for the Nazi Party and also the disgust. Okay, I'm going to stop. You, you get it. I'm going to stop. Tool number three, tool number three. Know this, the tool number one, tool number two, desensitization, a purposeful operation, propaganda, purposeful intent, working as tools in the hands of those who are going to shape mold. Number three was psychological warfare. The third tool in the hand of the devil that he gives to his shapers and fashioners is psychological warfare. Psychological warfare is the bombardment of all these images and propaganda and intentions and manipulations and motivations. Psychological warfare is being used against everybody's mind. Now, let me just pause for a moment and say, only way out from being shaped, from being molded, from having your psychology, your soul, subjugated to this intense warfare is through your faith in Jesus Christ your love for God, the knowledge of the gospel of Jesus Christ, to know the word of God, to be born again, to be translated out of all this mess and nonsense into the kingdom of Jesus Christ so that you will not be taken over and become one of those integrated into the shaping of what they're doing, which I'm going to tell you in just a moment. I'm trying to rush to it, honestly. Three tools. Desensitization, propaganda, psychological warfare, very powerful tools. What psychological warfare did, if I did a study on it from Nazi Germany, World War II, what it did to people's minds was unbelievable. It subjected them. It broke them. It created atmospheres. Okay, So that's been going on psychological warfare is what's happening, is what you're seeing through all these other tools. Now, I want to go to Ezekiel chapter 8. Ezekiel chapter 8. And I'm sorry, I've got to do this, but... Oops, wrong one. Sorry about that. Ezekiel chapter 8. I want to talk to you about something The image, ready? Because this is going to put it all together. And let's go to Ezekiel chapter 8, because this is the prophetic word, if you will. Verse 1. And it came to pass in the sixth year, in the sixth month, in the fifth day of the month, as I sat in my house, and the elders of Judah sat before me, that the hand of the Lord God fell there upon me. All right. What I'm about to share with you is what I believe this propaganda, desensitization, psychological warfare, all these tools in the hands of the global oligarchy of elites, shaping and molding and fashioning. They're building something. They're creating something. And by the way, I just wanted to say that all this stuff is not just going on in the world. There has been desensitization in the church. There has been uh, propaganda in the church, psychological warfare in the church. Okay, that's working there too. I just wanted to say that, and I'll explain it later. But in Ezekiel 8, Ezekiel is sitting with the elders. Verse 2, I beheld in low a likeness as the appearance of fire, from the appearance of his loins even downward fire from his loins even upward, as the appearance of brightness, as the color of amber. What an image. He put forth the form of a hand and took me by a lock of my head, and the Spirit lifted me up between the earth and the heaven, brought me in the visions of God to Jerusalem, to the door of the inner gate that looks toward the north, where was the seat of the image of jealousy." which provokes to jealousy. What did you just hear? The image of jealousy. You've heard of the image of the beast. You've heard of the image of Baal. We're going to talk about those as well. The image of jealousy, which provokes to jealousy. So here, God is taking Ezekiel, and where is he? Um, He's coming to the door of Jerusalem, the door of the inner gate, okay, that looks to the north. First thing he sees is an image, this image of jealousy. Verse 4, "...behold, the glory of the God of Israel was there according to the vision that I saw in the plain. Then said he unto me, Son of man, lift up your eyes. Now the way toward the north, so I lifted up my eyes." The way toward the north and behold, northward at the gate of the altar, this image of jealousy in the entry, the image of jealousy that provokes to jealousy. He said, verse six, furthermore unto me, son of man. Seest thou what they do, even the great abominations that the house of Israel commits here? That I should go far off from my sanctuary, but turn thee yet again, and thou shalt see greater abominations. Did you hear the mystery? Son of man, do you see this image that they have sculpted? Do you see this image that they have fashioned? And God called it the image of jealousy because they are to provoke me, the God of creation, with their image of jealousy. They are intending to provoke me to leave my own land. Today, the fashioners are forming an image of the beast that is attempting to provoke God to leave the earth. Connect it. In the days of Israel, they had created an image of jealousy. In other words, we don't worship you, God. We don't want you, God. We worship other things. And we're creating this image of jealousy. We're fashioning it. We're designing it like a calf in the wilderness, a golden calf. We're shaping, we're designing. Our image of jealousy is to provoke you to get out of here. Get out of Israel. Get out of the earth. That's what he just said in verse 6. But watch this. But turn thee yet again and you shall see greater abominations. Verse 7. He brought me to the door of the court when I looked behold a hole in the wall. Then said he unto me, son of man, dig now in the wall and when I had digged in the wall behold a door. He said unto me, go in and behold the wicked abominations that they do here. So I went in and saw and behold every form of creeping things and abominable beasts and all the idols of the house of Israel portrayed upon the wall round about and there stood before them 70 men of the ancients of the house of Israel and in the midst of them stood Jezaniah the son of Shaphan with every man his censer in his hand and a thick cloud of incense went up then said he unto me son of man have you seen what the ancients of the house of Israel do in the dark every man in the chambers of his imagery for they say, the Lord seeth us not, the Lord hath forsaken the earth. Now listen, they said it back then that the Lord has forsaken the earth. The, the designers, the fashioners, the sculptors of the image of the beast are hard at work. They are provoking the Lord out of this earth. They do not believe that God is here anymore. They are going to worship idols and the great idols is being fashioned and the people of this earth are being desensitized, propagandized and warred against psychology to get them ready. This is all about getting ready to receive the beast. Everything going on in the world right now is designed to get all who will make it through and live through this time. The survivors of planet Earth, it's all designed to get them to receive the beast, his mark, his image, and the number of his name. There is a creation going on. As the world is being dumbed down through propaganda and all those things, there's something creating. It behind the scenes, they're creating the image of jealousy, known as the image of Baal. Known as the image of the beast. It's being created in the dark halls. Now watch. Here, all the idols were portrayed upon the walls. Today, the idols are portrayed on every television screen, every billboard, every computer, every cell phone, every iPhone. Everywhere you go, the images of idolatry are everywhere. And the people of this nation and around the world have sucked up the idolatry. They have been bringing in and in writing it and inscribing it in the souls of our own imaginations. Even... Our churches are inscribing idolatrous images of falsehood. Be patient with me. Let me labor through this, okay? Let me just keep going. He goes further and he says, they think they've forsaken the earth. They say God has forsaken the earth. Verse 13, he said also unto me, turn thee yet again and you shall see greater abominations that they do then he brought me to the door of the gate of the Lord's house which was toward the north and behold there sat women weeping for Tammuz then said he unto me hast thou seen this O son of man turn thee yet again so you got to go into who Tammuz is it goes back into the ancient mystery religions it goes into Nimrod and his mother and the Tammuz and it's a false god And you could study it out, go into Tammuz, search it out. It'll blow your mind. It's a spirit. It's an entity. It's a principality. It's a power that's still in the world today. Behind the scenes, what's at work? What's going on? What's creating? What's moving? Buddy says in 15... Thou hast seen these things, son of man, turn thee yet again, and I'll show you even greater abominations than these. You know, so people are worshiping the wrong God. And he brought me into the inner court of the Lord's house, and behold, at the door of the temple of the Lord, between the porch and the altar were about five and twenty men with their backs toward the temple of the Lord. Their faces toward the east, and they worshiped the sun toward the east. Lucifer, the, the light bearer, the bright one, The Masons say that he's the true light. So here these people are worshiping the sun. They're worshiping Tammuz. They have idolatry all around and within them, in the walls of their psyche, in the chambers of their imagination. They don't really believe that God's here. They don't want God. They're provoking God to leave the earth. And they worship the sun. Verse 17, Then said he unto me, Have you seen this, O son of man? Is it a light thing? To the house of Judah, that they commit the abominations which they commit here, for they have filled the land with violence and have returned to provoke me to anger. And lo, they put the branch to their nose. Therefore will I also deal in fury. My eye shall not spare, neither will I have pity. And though they cry in my ears with a loud voice, yet will I not hear them. That's the end of chapter 8. What follows is what you read in the book of Revelation, chapter 7. It's God's wrath will come forward. Now, here are the images that have been given to us. Here's what they've been showing us for a long time. And I could start in 9-11, but just in the last year fire, war, riots, violence, hate, division, white supremacy, nationalism demonized, Trump supporters demonized, conservatives demonized, Christians demonized. Now, we know the story in Daniel chapter 3 that Nebuchadnezzar erected an image, or he had an an image erected that people were to bow down to. All these images of jealousy, the image of Baal, the image in Daniel's day of Nebuchadnezzar, the image of the beast, they all have the same purpose, to get the people of the earth to bow down and worship. Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego did not bow the knee. They did not worship. I have 7,000 that have not bowed the knee to the image of Baal. Both Old Testament and New Testament. There were those in Israel who sighed and cried for the abominations that were committed in the land, which means they did not participate. They did not bow to the image of jealousy. They didn't bow down to it. In the last days, when the image of the beast comes forward, There must be a people that will not bow down to it, which means you don't bow down now to the propaganda. You don't bow down now to the desensitization. You don't bow down now to the psychological warfare. You put on the full armor of God. You start living in the spirit of God, getting serious about the warfare that's coming against your mind to take you out to know and understand that there are images yet to come that are going to eclipse the images that you've already seen that have been hard to hear, hard to handle, hard to see. It's coming. When the devil came to Jesus in Matthew 4, 9 and 10, the devil came to him and he tried to tempt him to give up his mission. And he said, if you will bow down, If you will fall before me. The word fall in the Greek. If you will fail. In other words the devil was beseeching Jesus. Would you please. Fail. In your mission. Before me now. Give it up Jesus. That same demonic spirit is going to say to every Christian. Every one of us. Give it up. Stop. Back off back down, fall down, worship. It's too hard. This is too hard. And he was tempting Jesus after 40 days and 40 nights of not eating or drinking. And he is going to come to every one of us. And he's going to ask us to fail from being the faithful followers of Jesus Christ. It's going to be a fiery trial that is to try us but don't think it's strange concerning this fiery trial that is to try some strange thing has happened unto us, but rather rejoice. Rejoice and know that this fiery trial, as to whether we will remain and be faithful to the end, know that it will produce a glory. Know that it will produce something beyond our ability to comprehend right now. But the image is being erected. The world is going to be told to bow. Revelation 13, everybody who does not will be killed. It's what it says. Receive or worship. Let me read it just to be on target here. And the sad thing is, is people are already receiving. They've already given up. They've already left their faithfulness of the Lord. But it does say this in verse 15, Revelation 13, 15. He had power to give life under the image of the beast, that the image of the beast should both speak and cause that as many as would not worship the image of the beast should be killed. Worship means to bow down. Stop worshiping God. That's it. That's what this whole Thing is about and if they can inject you with a vaccination that will afflict your mind and your soul put a thought inception in other words you've all seen the movie inception it's when you plant a thought deep in someone's conscience and you got to find a way to do it to get them to do what you want them to do well the massive psyop operation of inception is planting thoughts in people's minds to give up it is the psychological warfare. But he that shall endure to the end shall be saved. I have a word for you. I wrote it out today. I've got a word for somebody. On Sunday, we had a prophetic word came into our house, but just a little bit. If you'll give God just your little bit, the boy with the few loaves of bread and fish, he gave just a little bit, and the Lord multiplied it. You have a little bit of worship left in you. Offer it to God on the altar of sacrifice. A little bit of faithfulness is left, a little bit of hope, a little bit. You just have a little bit. You've been through a season where you've got nothing but just a little bit. Offer it to the Lord. He will blow upon it. He'll send the wind of his spirit and ignite a fire with your little bit of worship to him. And then this morning I heard, don't give up, don't give in, just keep doing what you know to do, don't change anything outwardly, nothing outside of yourself, keep doing what you're doing faithfully, but change within you what needs to change. So right now, I've talked to some friends that are thinking about doing different things and ending things here or doing starting. No, right now in this season, I would say and take responsibility for saying it. Right now, stay in it. Stay in that marriage. Stay in that relationship. Stay in that church. Stay at that job. Stay in it. And keep doing what's right in yourself. God is getting ready to make a change. You keep faithful. You keep it. Pastor, don't you give up pastoring. You stay faithful to your cause. Oh, you know, I've tried this church, and it was exciting at the beginning, but, man, there's a lot of warfare going on. I'm going to go somewhere else. Man, I I started this job and it was cool, and it was great, but I'm tired now. I'm going to look for a new job. Don't do it. Oh, I have married, and I had a family, and was in love, and I've been faithful to my spouse all these years, but, man, I just, it's just not there anymore. I think I'll go looking somewhere else. Don't do it. I hear the Lord saying the only thing you need to change that's going to produce any good fruit is in yourself. Stay the course, saints. However, while you're working it out inwardly with the Holy Spirit, there's a change coming. God is preparing something. Of a magnitude I don't think we could have ever dreamed It's 5781 time to pack your bags come out of her my people don't take her mark don't participate in her feasts don't let her propaganda influence you. Don't allow psychological warfare to just go on uncontested. Put on the helmet of salvation, the mind of Christ, the righteousness of God, all of the good armor of God. Fight the good fight of faith. Don't be desensitized by their images. Love one another. Care for one another. Pray for one another. Somebody's hurting. Don't be implacable. In the last days, Paul said to Timothy, in the last days men would become implacable, hard-hearted without natural affection, nobody's gonna care anymore about bleeding people, dead people, sick people. We're gonna see crimes all around us and we're not gonna care because something happened, but we will, we will care through the power of the Holy Spirit. Love your spouse more than you've ever loved them before. Change comes from within. Do your job as unto the Lord, not unto the boss, but honor your boss by doing it as unto the Lord and do it with effort. In other words, I hear God saying, stay the course. He's going to bring the change. The very best days of your life are ahead of you. They are not behind you. If you will be faithful... I don't know what else to share. Um, I don't know if we did a good enough job in presenting this. I got scriptures everywhere. But I want to read, I'll leave you with this. The desensitization of the church has been underway for decades against the church. With a psychological twist that has completely confused the minds of the people. The twist has been to show both images of a false reality of a pre-tribulational rapture idea, along with the evil coming on the earth. The purpose is to deceive the church. Oh, here's these bad things, but we won't be here. Deceive them and then capture the church because it's going to get caught because they're still here and they're not prepared. And then conquer it. An awakening is coming. Surely an awakening is coming. But not the awakening so many have hoped for. The awakening that's coming to the church. Is all the deception that they have received. And have been disarmed by. And caught off guard by. Suddenly, they will be caught and conquered. They're going to wake up. The church is going to wake up. The world is never going to wake up. They're going to wake up, and we're going to worship the beast. They're being taken over. Many in the church are going to worship the beast, believe me. But some are going to wake up and realize, my God, we're still here. What was I thinking? Why was I believing? Once saved, always saved. Why was I believing pre-tribulational rapture doctrine fairy tales and fantasies why wasn't i preparing my heart to meet the lord why didn't i spend my time repenting and confessing carrying my cross why didn't i spend my time washing my soul with the water of the word and and turning away from ungodliness and doing what is right and faithful before the eyes of my creator Why didn't I repent of all bitterness and resentment and offense and fear and pride and lust and greed and ambition and carnality and fleshliness? Why didn't I work out my salvation? Why, 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 why? That's the awakening. It's exactly what it says in Ezekiel. The people are going to be weeping on the sides of the mountain that escaped the destruction and say, what have we done? That's the awakening. It's coming to the surviving church. Praise the Lord. Let's see what's going on. I I went. All right. So this is how we begin our week. Remember, Passover is on Saturday. With all that stuff going out there, man, I want to participate in some kingdom stuff. I want to get my heart. I want that blood. Of Jesus Christ to so work in me tangibly, to get out of me every single idol, every image inscribed in my soul. I don't want demons or thoughts or suggestions or motions out of control. I want it all cleaned up. That's what Passover is all about. I do not want to fail right now I don't want you to fail I don't want one person at New Wine Ministries to fail don't you bow your knee don't you give up I don't want one person that follows this ministry to fail don't you bow down Don't give up, don't give in. Move in the direction where you could find substantial things of God, apply them to your life, and battle against anything inside of you that is being exploited by the devils to use it at the last moment to bring you in and capture you, the bait of Satan. The the demons, they're they're fishers and hunters. They're seeking the soul of the righteous to capture us in order to conquer us. We will not be captured if we employ the precious blood of Jesus Christ and be faithful to God. The scripture I'm going to leave you with today, well... Maybe not leave you, but I'm going to bring this one, man. This is a prophetic word in my spirit. I've been sharing this with everybody I know. Psalm 5, 11 and 12. Write it down. Psalm 5, 11 and 12. Here's what it says. But let all those that put their trust in thee rejoice. Let them ever shout for joy. Because thou defendest them, let them also that love your name be joyful in you. Here's 12. For thou, Lord, will bless the righteous with favor. Will you compass him as with a shield? Ah! God's favor is going to be a shield around you, faithful warrior. God will defend the righteous who put their trust in him. This is called merited favor. Watch this, though. This was for the righteous. But in the New Testament, the unmerited favor of God will be your defense and your shield. The favor of the Lord. The favor of God will be your shield and buckler and defense. Unmerited for some who are thinking, oh, but I've sinned. I feel guilt shame." You better stop that and receive the grace of God and let God begin to defend you and to be a shield around you as his favor is with you everywhere you go. Favor, favor, favor for the faithful. Say, I haven't been faithful. I don't deserve it. Repent and receive the unmerited favor of God. This is the new covenant. This is the glory. Bless the Lord, oh my soul, and don't give up, says my brother Dean. Kevin says we don't have to go to an altar Because Jesus fulfilled the law. He died for us to help cleanse us. Wow. Hallelujahs are in the camp. Praise the Lord's are in the camp of the righteous. Shouts of joy. Rejoice, saints. But understand, my my prayer to God is that somehow today you got it. You know what the mark of the beast is. You know what the mark... The image of the beast, the image of jealousy, the image of Baal, the image of Nebuchadnezzar, all the same thing, intended to get you to fail your mission to serve Christ faithfully, to bow down. You're not going to bow down. No, you're not. And you're not going to do anything that's going to put you in a position that would create that. In Jesus' name, we covenant ourselves before the Lord. And when we gather this Saturday night, When we gather together this Saturday night, we're renewing our covenant as a corporate body of believers. Oh, there's a lot God's going to do on this Passover intrinsically in his people to help them who honor him for his feast. Oh, Johnny says, keep our focus on the kingdom above. I agree. Uh, Charlotte Gotch says, thank you for the word today. You're welcome, Charlotte. Kevin says, what you read of the awakening is so well put. The lost people will have their scales removed from their eyes because of the light of God. They will be weeping when they will be taken away, not home. Wow, it's true. Sister Cindy's traveling today. Keep her in prayers. Not giving up, she says, an overcomer. Amen. Keep psalm 5 11 and 12 in your 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 ammunition buckler thingy <laughs> all right what else do we have here etymology of the word bless is to pour blood on an altar Oof, mamma mia all right guys are we flowing are we okay we good You need forgiveness right now? You want God's unmerited favor in your life? You want favor to be your defense and your shield? Right now, confess your sin to Jesus Christ and stop doing it. you feel like you're just walking around like I'm a number and at any moment my number could come, stop it. You're not a number. You're a child of the living God. Well, God puts his favor around you, his shield around you. God wants to defend you. No, nothing in this earth or in hell itself could touch you. Nothing can touch you if God's defending you, protecting you as a shield. So walk with confidence. Walk with boldness in the favor of your Father who loves you. Go on assignment. Be salt and be light to the world around you everywhere you go. Fight the good fight of faith. Battle it out with the devil. He's already defeated before you, a child of God. You are kings, and you are priests, and you are lords. You are princes and princesses in the family of God. You are sons, and you are daughters. Don't you bow to anything but Jesus Christ and your papa, your father. You fall to him you will not fall to any other. You worship him, you will not worship any other. You put God first, you will not fail. Fall before him today, for God loves a humble and contrite spirit. Fall upon the rock, Jesus Christ. Be broken. Break. Fall upon the rock and let God lift you up. Don't let that rock crush you. Come on. You know what you need to do? You need to pack your bags. You need to start making your trip. Come to Northwest Arkansas this weekend, and you need to celebrate the Feast of Tabernacles with the body of Christ, the family of God that's here. You need to stop doing this on your own or going to churches that don't do it. You need to get in the revelation of what God is doing. Pack your bags. Get out of where you are. Go celebrate the Feast of the Lord. Tell everybody, I'm going to celebrate. They'll think you're crazy. Do it anyways. Come up to the ark. That's where we're going to be Saturday night. We're going to be at the ark celebrating the feast of Passover. You're cordially invited to come. Get on an airplane. Get in your car. Get on a donkey. Whatever it takes. Hitchhike. I don't know. Come celebrate the feast. You won't be disappointed. Bring your offering with you. Do it. Bring your offering Bring it to the Lord. Lay it at the altar. God will share it with the ministers. And then get ready for impartation. The only time God ever said to test him was in Malachi. See if I won't open the windows of heaven and pour out a blessing. He said, test me in the tithe and the offering, both physical and spiritual. We'll talk more about that another day. Stay the course. Stay faithful. Present your little bit to the Lord. He'll blow on it and increase it. Do what is right today. Know what's going on around you. And be blessed. We'll see you tomorrow on Pastor Vince Gotta Go. Max needs to go for a walk. Until we meet again, shalom. Right now on Blog Talk Radio, excuse me, on Omega Radio, 24 hours a day, seven days a week. There's a roundtable discussion with Patricia Joy Xavier. We'll see you there. Shalom. With Lucky Land Plus, you can get lucky just about anywhere.